Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Dr. Kino's Film Emporium. This week I have a respected academic from the far-flung reaches of England, uh, this is East Anglia, uh, from the University of East Anglia in fact no less, uh, one of the very first people who who um, persuaded me, to, or certainly let me on the course, to do a to do a, a PhD, uh, for which I've never thanked her properly, which we'll do that uh, soon. So, uh, with I can see her coming down the road now. She's borrowed Miriam's tractor, which uh, Miriam uh, from uh, there two weeks ago came. She's chugging down the road. Oh, and yeah, she's got an interesting package. I can't quite make out what it is under her arm. Oh, here she is. It's Dr. Melanie Williams. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Melanie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Welcome to my to my slightly dusty emporium. There's uh, I don't know if other cleaners in. Please take a take us in one of our elegant wing back chairs, and uh, which we always use to thank discuss you. the film. Fantastic. Um, how long did it take you by tractor to get from East Anglia? <laughs> <laughs> oh, many, many days. It's, it's a few days. Miriam took a week, I think, to get back from. Yeah, uh, from that's, it. that's yeah. a good estimate, I think. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, Mel, what have you got for us? This week, because I genuinely don't know what film you've brought um, to, no. us to discuss. I've I've kept it a secret, and it's partly because I've been wavering between different potential choices. But because I've been thinking a lot about um, Billy Wilder lately mm. for various reasons, I've decided to pick his 1964 film *Kiss Me Stupid*. Okay, that sounds like a spoof on a detective film type of thing is that would that be about right or no i suppose it, it sounds a bit like kiss me deadly it does it? Oh. which obviously got is it robert oldrich or yeah something yeah no okay. it's 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 a sort of it's a sort of sex comedy farce i've seen it described as sort of like pillow talk meets psycho that's that, that gets is intriguing <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and it was it was condemned by the legion of decency which is even which is... a bigger recommendation yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah this is the, um, this is the catholic league of decency isn't it yes it the, yes it was the the first one they'd condemned since uh baby doll oh fabulous in the 50s. Okay. so so they they were not pleased with it no. so it, it's already pointing to sort of something quite interesting about the film i think Definitely, definitely. So we'll go into that in a bit more detail later. But yeah, sounds great. So it's called Kiss Me Stupid and it's by Billy Wilder from 1964. So That's right. Excellent. Before we get into that, Mel, this is a, obviously, as regular listeners know, uh, this is a question I always ask people in the Emporium. And it is, it's something that I ask my students as well. Um, and uh, it's the answers can be really revealing. Um, what was the first film that you actually remember seeing at the cinema? At the cinema, it was um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh -huh. um, one of the periodic revivals that used to happen back in the 70s and 80s, um, when every uh, holiday a Disney film would get re-released, um, and I would go and see it with, I, I think I went to see it with my mum, but my auntie was also a great um person to go to the cinema with so i saw quite a lot of disney films i remember that i remember the fox and the hound as oh, a sort yes. of new film um yep. the aristocats mm -hmm. uh robin hood the jungle book uh so yeah a sort of diet of disney mainly i think the the first non-disney film i saw at the cinema was probably et okay yeah 82 um, yeah 
Yeah. But did we you did cry? also. Oh, oh God, yeah, buckets. <laughs> buckets, yeah. <laughs> buckets. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, you'd have to have a heart of stone not Absolutely. to. Yeah. But we did used to have a, a film club at school as well. Oh, so, okay. um, so you know, that was interesting. Most of the f- stuff that we get was more Disney um, mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, interminable screenings of Herbie Goes Bananas. And, right. Not you know, one which of my favourite Never Disney a films. fan of. No, but, you know, it was, no, it was kind of a fun activity. The, the film itself was immaterial. I remember one of our dinosaurs is missing being one that we seem to watch quite a lot. Yeah, Peter Ustinoff, wasn't it? There was a Diplo- mm. Diplodocus skeleton going around London. Oh, okay. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's all coming back now. So where, <laughs> where was where was this film? Where, where was the film club at school? I mean, where, which town um, did you in? I grew up just on the outskirts of Bristol in a okay. village called Pill. Um, indeed, near, I do know Pill. Near Portishead. Yes. yes, indeed, and, um, yes. Yes. Yeah, the film club used to happen in our sort of uh, main hall where we used to have assembly. So we'd kind of get the crash mats out and the benches and we, it would be set up with a projector and mm-hmm. uh, and we'd watch um, whatever film had been hired. Um, and I think I was about sort of, I don't know, eight or nine, that sort okay. of age. And I was certainly yeah. watching a lot of old films on TV as well. Mm, you know, I was a great, yeah. a great TV watcher. Um, Sunday um, afternoon, usually something oh, black and white, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I was not too fussy actually. I'd sort of watch whatever was on, not mm-hmm. a sort of discriminating viewer. At no, all. indeed, just, just whatever's on. You know, yeah. whatever was on. You know, one of the three channels, and then four oh, yes. channels later on. Yeah, I know. I know for um for younger listeners, uh, you may not believe, <laughs> but back in the day when Mel and I were a bit. Uh, Shorten the tooth. Um, it, it <laughs> when really the world was, was young. It, it, when the world was young, it really was just three channels because Channel Four didn't turn up till 1982. So in yes. in England in the UK at that time, it was just three channels. So mm. satellite, no, that was a distant dream. Um, Netflix, wouldn't know what that is. So it was BBC One, BBC Two, and ITV, and that was your lot. And yep. I think um, young, and at the risk of sounding like a like um, uh, a nostalgic old man, if you missed the program. You missed it, didn't you, yeah. on TV? That was it. That was it. There was yeah. no kind of like, oh, we can replay that later on or we can no. record it. There was I, I mean, no... I, I remember when, you know, the, the sort of the big chunky video mm. players and video recorders first appeared, um, but it was a long time before we had that technology. So, yeah. yeah, if you missed it, you missed it. You missed it. Tough. Yeah. So, yes, it was uh, quite different times. But, Very different know. times. <laughs> so, in terms of media media consumption, definitely though. Um, so, films becoming a you know this is about this is pretty good going having a film club at school. So, did it sort of start to light a slow fire under you? Did you start to take that take that uh, that passion for film into into sort of teenagerhood? I, I think it was probably more the sort of old films on TV, particularly the sort of BBC Two and later on channel four mm-hmm. matinees um and i got quite interested in kind of old hollywood and some old british films as well but i remember getting out of the library repeatedly um the book shipman's great movie stars which is okay. a sort of encyclopedia with different accounts of uh you know kind of different movie stars from the the golden age and um and I also read a lot of um, star biographies as well. Mm-hmm. So I remember reading, Mar- I sort of just at a loss for something to do in the summer mm. holidays and something to read. And I ended up reading 
uh, Marlena Dietrich's autobiography. And... Was it called I Want to Be Alone? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be Greta Garbo. <laughs> Is it Greta Garbo? Oh, God, there you yes. go. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, I'm getting, getting my uh, massive faux pas. <laughs> I, my wrist is well and truly slapped. Hang on. Do you know what? Actually, I'll lean over into it so you can slap it for me. Okay, there you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> right, so that's my wrist slap. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I do know a little bit about film stars. So oh, you do, um, you do. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But um, so with uh, with the uh, biographies of stars, who was your favourites um, from the star biographies? Oh gosh, um, I can't. Remember. I mean, I sort of. Uh, it was whatever was knocking about at the at the library really so I sort of read them fairly indiscriminately I mm-hmm. kind of I remember reading Joan Fontaine's um, okay. autobiography yeah. and um and Betty Davis's autobiography oh, yeah, of Betty Davis um, yeah, and her eyebrows yeah yeah oh yeah. and real page turners you know yes. so some of the more sort of salacious biographies so they it, were, they the were, ones who've lived hard. quite a life Oh, I say it certainly sounds like it. Yes, I mean Ava yeah. Gardner as well. She, I mean, famously in The Godfather, she's she, you know she was um, thinly disguised as uh, Johnny uh, Johnny Fontaine's wife. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah because Frank Sinatra is supposed to be the model and etc. And that was his second his yes. second wife etc. So, did you read Mommy Dearest from uh, Joan Crawford's daughter? No. No, Chris, I didn't Christine actually. Crawford, yeah. Yeah, no, I I I didn't read that one. I mean, I sort of. I remember later on reading Hollywood Babylon. Oh, okay. It, it happened, happened mm. to be kind of, you know, uh, knocking about at the bookshop I worked at. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, yeah, I, I sort of, it was whatever was in the library and it was quite kind of restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of read whatever's there. Available. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So this sounds like really good training to be a film academic. Well, but you're already doing yeah, it at like, you know, yeah. 10 or 11, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I don't quite know what the, the fascination was. I suppose it was um, something a bit different, something a bit uh, kind of out of the ordinary and, and glamorous. and Star power. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and one of the films that was kind of, Really important, I think, was um, we were taken to a screening of The Third Man at the uh, watershed. They were having some of sort course. of yes. um, educational schools day. Fantastic. Um, and we all got taken along and I can't I can't really remember much else about the day. <laughs> but I remember that they screened The Third Man and um, and I thought the film was fantastic and it really I found it. Yeah, fascinating. And I became really interested in Orson Welles. And mm-hmm. I read a lot of stuff about him, whatever I could lay my hands on. Mm. And I tried to watch as much as I could um, and kind of piece together what was available, you know, <laughs> what you could buy, what what you couldn't buy, what you could borrow from the mm-hmm. library. Because it's fair to say I wasn't particularly kind of financially flush and yeah. also it was just much harder to access films i mean yes. i think now it's yeah, not everything but so many no, things but are so much easier. more yeah readily available whereas mm. this this involved a bit of um a bit of detective work but mm. actually i was i was kind of up for that okay you know? yeah 
So definitely, definitely good <laughs> academic training in terms of researching and finding stuff out and the rest of it. Yeah. Tracking yeah. things down. Great. So Third Man is one of the films that lit a fire into you or got your interest properly going. What mm. was the what what are other examples of this? Do you remember seeing something in your in your teenage years? You just think, my God, this is incredible. I need to this is Yeah. 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 Um I mean I think the film that, that really did it that was completely separate from that kind of interest in classic Hollywood was um, Reservoir Dogs, which ah, I, yes. yeah. I thought was fantastic. And I went to see it, I think, about 10 times because... Whoa. Okay, well, once point, was enough for me. <laughs> I think that was like, it was intense experience. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, and I think I, I kind of appreciated how intense it was and also a sort of badge of honor to sit through something as gruesome as that so mm. many times and and also there was that suggestion at the time that it wouldn't necessarily get a certificate for video so i mm. thought well if i want to see it i'm probably going to have to watch it mm-hmm. now or it's going to end up like a clockwork orange where you can't actually see it unless you sure. kind of go to a go to for a day trip to France to watch it yeah. um, because it was it was still banned then. I got it, so, it, it, it remained banned for a long time on on the yeah. series like DVD and video. I mean, it really it was um, yeah. I think it made relatively good box office. Um, this is just drawing drawing on my memory from Peter Biskin's um, book uh, Down and Dirty Pictures, but it, it was refused, I think, a certificate in the UK for a number of years. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, what age were you when you saw this then? Uh, about 18 I think okay so you were at, um, you, so, you were just before college or about to start um or? a bit it was a I went a bit later on so mm-hmm. this was I suppose I was sort of trying to work out what I was interested in and what I might do mm. and it really galvanized and sort of consolidated that that interest in film I mean I didn't really study film until a bit later on but I was I was really into it. I mean, in a way, I bought into all that auteur bullshit, Indeed. you know. I mean, you know, you don't go through a sort of fascination with a fascination with Orson Welles and then uh, no. get really interested in Quentin Tarantino's work without being sort of slightly contaminated by, yeah, by some I'm, I'm of that still, stuff. I'm still very contaminated by auteur theory. In fact, I made my PhD partly about auteur theory. So, yeah. <laughs> I need but, to grow out of it at some point, but there we go. Well, it's you know, it was it was a it was a starting point, I think. Yes, for, um, sure. for, for sure. For thinking about some of those things, and I, I found just with Reservoir Dogs, it packed a lot into quite a short running time. Mm. It oh, for sure. Had a, had a fantastic soundtrack of sort yes. of you know found music, which I, I thought was was terrific, and it just had real sort of dynamism and an interest, and you know. I, I knew it was a, a sort of very masculine film, but then mm-hmm. I'd I'd always quite like war films, and I sure like the Dirty Dozen on on TV. So yep. it wasn't yeah Kelly's it Heroes wasn't was too... on the other night. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. that's another fantastic one. Would you knock it off with the negative waves and all that sort of <laughs> very much a sort of sixties take on World War Two with the hippie tank commanders and all. Um, so which college did you go to, Mel? So um, well. You mean like sort of university? Yeah, sorry, yeah, university, um, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, it was, I went to Hull. Okay, I did yeah. English there. Quite a long way from Bristol, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was yeah. I was sort of, well, I suppose, looking to go somewhere that was different. Mm-hmm. Still by the sea, but <laughs> like a port yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> a, sort of opposite end and, and opposite side of the, of the country. But, um, 
but I was also a, a big uh, Philip Larkin enthusiast. Oh, I'd, I'd written indeed. a long English project on on Larkin's poetry, so okay. so that was kind of part of the attraction as well. Oh. And um, yeah, and it was it was a good place to do to do English. But I also noticed that they did some film stuff there as well as part of the English degree as part of the languages and the drama degrees. So I thought, oh. Well, maybe this is also somewhere I can kind of pursue those interests a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, For listeners who don't know, Philip Larkin was a a very good English poet, one of the major post-war poets. I mean, it's a bit of a problematic figure, it's fair to say. But, but, you know, that came out a bit later on. Yes. Yeah, he had a very uh, mixed, I think is probably some of the diplomatic way of putting it, Mm. a very mixed attitude towards women. Um, Didn't always... uh, refer to them particularly pleasantly um yes uh, but he was actually the whole university librarian i believe he was yeah yes when because he must have died just before you turned up there because he was Uh, a few years before yeah but but certainly a lot of the english faculty who you know who i sort of got to know a bit later on um remembered him Mm -hmm. being around the place and remembered meetings you know where they'd try and get more library stuff and, uh, and and just kind of him being around the place and part of mm-hmm. the literary community because obviously Hull was quite a centre for poets really lots of mm-hmm. poets kind of living and working there okay. so yeah very poetic so what made you uh, when you got your degree what made you do the, the fateful choice of going on to postgrad <laughs> qualifications sheer desperation (laughs) (laughs) was it was there money available to do it at the time or not well I'd sort of I I graduated and I was doing various jobs and I thought actually I really want to go back and into postgraduate study I kind of wanted to do more and I particularly wanted to to do more in in film so um so I started sort of looking around for for opportunities and um and um, there was I went to approach one of my old lectures for a, a reference and um, he said, well, actually, there's some fellowships going here. So uh, why don't you apply for that as well? And great. Um, and I got it. And so I sort of stayed on there. I followed the money. Yeah, which is no <laughs> no shame in that. <laughs> no. Um, Excellent. And, and had a fantastic time there sort of doing my PhD and, and teaching and and setting up new degrees in, in mm-hmm. film so it was, it was great experience. Great what was your PhD on? It was on British cinema the mm-hmm. 1950s with mm. a particular focus on a filmmaker called J. Lee Thompson okay. who was especially interesting I think in terms of his representation of women so Mm -hmm. he did he did some really really terrific gripping films um that had quite a strong female presence in them that was quite Mm -hmm. unusual at the time i mean it's probably best known for things like uh ice cold and alex and the girls of navarone and okay uh cape fear that's probably his best known hollywood film but he also did great stuff like uh, Tiger Bay, Yields mm. the Night, Woman in a Dressing Gown. Okay. Um, so, you know, and I got really interested in, in British cinema in particular. 
Um, mm-hmm. And again, you're kind of fueled by watching stuff on TV and yeah, and then those... trying to find references to this these films and, and seeing that actually not a great deal have been written about them. And ah, so I thought, ah. A gap in the market. Yeah, this Excellent. could be interesting to work on. Indeed. And there you go. Fantastic. Mel, were there any, um, any mentors or academic inspiration for you at Hull? That you... Yeah, I, I mean, my the one of the people that taught film stuff um, at Hull when I was an undergraduate was uh, Neil Sinyard, and he ended up supervising my PhD mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, happy to say, you know, we're still in touch and he's a, a great friend and support and... Um, has written wonderful books on different filmmakers and different topics. So it was a real uh, pleasure and privilege to to be taught by him. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I find in common with certainly with um, uh, academics is they generally had a mentor figure somewhere along the line because I think you you can't do a PhD without other people. Uh, a bit like making a film, really. Um, and it's uh, certainly my own experience at uh, UEA, uh, of which you are part of a small but crucial role. <laughs> yes. you, you were the, as, as you no doubt remember, about 10 years ago, you actually um, responded to my phone call because you were, I think, in charge of PGR admissions. I was at the time, yes. Yes, and we had a phone conversation, I think, in my lunch hour. And it was, um, you basically said, can you do this? <laughs> and I said, yes, I can, in a very, <laughs> in a very confident way. Um, if I'd known what was actually ahead of me, I may not have been quite so confident. But so, uh, yes, I want to say now, thank you, Mel, for that. <laughs> oh, uh, you, you, you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you uh, for letting me into the, uh, into the cloistered halls of the ivory tower that is academia. <laughs> so let's get on to this film, um, Kiss Me Stupid. Tell me about this film. Okay, so I've, well, I've given you a little bit of a setup by saying that it was it was condemned by the Legion of Decency, and it's it's a film that had a sort of a bit of a troubled production, so oh. which is always good, isn't it? Always, um, always interesting. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you get some great art coming from. I think famously, uh, Blade Runner had a terrible, terrible production. Like Ridley Scott was at war with his cinematographer or something. There was crew wearing t-shirts saying i hate ridley and all similar (laughs) things and it was just a terrible production and it bombed but then obviously it's become the cult classic that we know and love so yeah what was was going on with um what was going on with this film and why why was billy wilder why was it uh, a problem originally the the lead role um peter sellers was cast in the lead role Ah. um and he had a near fatal heart attack um Mm. after six weeks of shooting Mm-hmm. And so he was told to recuperate for six months. So Wilder had a choice effectively. Could he wait and mm-hmm. until Sellers was possibly well enough to do it again? Or does he start again and reshoot? And he takes the, the second option. And um, much less well-known actor, Ray Walston, mm-hmm. who'd appeared okay. in some of um, Wilder's previous films, took the role instead. But um, basically, the story is uh, Ray Walston's character, Orville J. Spooner, which is a great <laughs> Billy Wilder sort of name, Definitely. Um, is a, a piano teacher and an aspiring songwriter who lives in a small desert town not far from Las Vegas uh, called Climax. 
this is a kind of indication <laughs> of the sexual innuendo that Indeed. the script is, is full of. Okay. Um, he's married to um, he's married to a, a very beautiful girl. He's sort of punching above his weight, really, and he mm -hmm. knows it. And so he's incredibly suspicious and jealous. So when we first encounter him, he's imagining his wife getting up to all sorts of things with every man in the sort of vicinity, which is rubbish. She's kind of mm -hmm. in love with him. Mm -hmm. So one day, um, Dean Martin, mm -hmm. the okay. uh, the famous crooner. Indeed, um, and, ro and general ladies man and rogue. <laughs> indeed, which the film makes a lot of. Uh -huh. um, his, he drives through on his way to... Um, from his engagement in Las Vegas through to Hollywood. And his Orville's fellow songwriting partner who works as a sort of mechanic realizes that if they can stall Dean Martin in town and try and play them some of their compositions, he might then sign them up as songwriters. Mm. So he essentially pretends to fill up Dean Martin's very expensive car and then nobbles it mm -hmm. so that Dean Martin is stuck in the town overnight while his car is being repaired. They suggest that he stays overnight at Orville's, mm -hmm. um, but Dean Martin is an inveterate womanizer who insists on having some kind of, you know, female company entertainment. And so Orville, very jealous of his wife, who he knows, incidentally, is a Dean Martin fan. Oh, it's all. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is very worried that Dean Martin's going to kind of get off with his wife. <laughs> so he comes up with a plan with his mechanic co-writing charm that they will substitute his wife for a, a kind of good time girl prostitute mm -hmm. um, called Polly the Pistol, who works. <laughs> No, it's not. It's full up with like phallic cactuses and oh, all okay. sorts of yep. hilarious stuff. So Polly the Pistol, played by Kim Novak. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The role mm -hmm. was originally um kind of conceived with Marilyn Monroe in mind. And oh, then, but then she'd already um, died at that point. Yeah. yeah, and then Jane Mansfield, but then Jane mm. Mansfield was pregnant, so Mm -hmm. um, Kim Novak kind of comes out of a, a not retirement exactly but she's had a bit of a career break and mm -hmm. came back to to make the film so she substitutes for Orville's wife and it's all quite complicated and mixed up um, classic kind of wild of fast type thing ensues absolutely and there's all kinds of mistaken identity and people pretending to be other people which of course you know when you look at Wilder's films is such a recurrent feature mm -hmm. of them um, and kind of in the end people end up sleeping with people that they probably shouldn't have and Dean Martin does take on the song that's been written okay. um, and, and then ends up performing it on the TV special Fantastic. and the Orville is, is very confused about how all of this has happened and what his wife might have got up to in a caravan when he mistook his wife for Polly the Pistol. They kind of swap places. Um, and her response is to just kind of dismiss it all, you know, don't worry about it. And the final line she says, just kiss me, stupid. You know, uh, don't worry about the, it. Yeah. Don't try and figure it all out. It's, it's yeah. a bit like that final kind of shut up and deal 
in yeah. the apartment. Yeah. It kind of like, let's not overthink this. Um, no. Let's just kind of let things be. And hopefully you've been cured of your jealousy. And I've had a fun night with Dean Martin. So yeah, let's, happy. Just, <laughs> let's just carry on. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Wilder's all's well that ends well, really. I mean, it, it got really slated at the time for being ah. kind of sleazy and okay. cynical. But I think in some way, you know, if you think of it in relation to restoration comedy or Shakespearean comedy, of course, where you've got so many cases of mistaken identities and, mm -hmm. you know, people swapping outfits and thinking that somebody is somebody else and swapping rings and, um, or even like Cosi Fantuti, the, the, you know, the, the opera that in high culture, there's a lot of this kind of stuff. And yet mm. when you, tr when you transport some of those, uh, kind of some of those narrative structures into a contemporary setting. Yeah. Everybody calls it sleazy, but they'd be quite happy to kind of go and so see what, a production of All's Well that ends Indeed, well. Indeed, yes. If it's Iambic Pentameter, that's fine. But you know, yes. if, it's, uh, if it's Nevada and accents, oh no, you can't have that. No. So Mel, this was you said it. It didn't do very well at the time. Is this why you've chosen it? Because the obviously the the Emporium, we we love films that are underrated or underappreciated under the radar. Which well, of those three would you say Kiss Me Stupid is? I think all of those, really. Okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting because it comes, you know, not that long after a really boom period for, for Wilder. So, mm. you know, obviously you've had Some Like It Hot, you've had mm -hmm. The Apartment. Mm -hmm. It's won lots of Oscars um, for those, and and obviously a you know longer track record of things like Sunset Boulevard and mm. um, Double Indemnity. So you know fantastic yeah. back Amazing. catalog. Yeah. Really. He's, at, he's at the height of his um, of his auteur director powers. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and 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 so much fantastic stuff there, and and yeah, at the same time, something kind of seems to not quite gel with this i think it's it's mm. conceived as sort of a bit off a bit dirty a bit mm -hmm. miscast um, right but i okay. think actually yeah. it, it stands up really well i think a lot of those criticisms it looks more like it was just a little ahead of its time i was going to say because i mean contextually 64 i mean the sexual revolution is pretty much well on well on its you know it started hasn't it it's you know the well someone the, needs to tell the catholic legion of decency indeed, yes, the sort of i mean this is really that yeah that their last attempt to sort of hold back the the river i think yeah but, um, and it, I mean, it failed miserably as we know but the do you think it suffered from that and is there also a sense that perhaps was he getting too big for his britches in terms of like so many successes and some sometimes that can engender jealousy and it think well and then you know critics can turn against you for various for various reasons some of them not very good reasons well i think some critics had a sort of blind spot with with wilder anyway where they kind of continually accuse him of bad taste and cynicism mm. even in films that seem to have nothing kind of cynical about them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as well, he sort of suffers in a way from being one of those directors who's uh, who's nominated for Oscars, who wins Oscars. So when those auteur critics come along in the 60s, mm. they're kind of trashing that that group of directors, you know, your, your, your Wilders, your Wilers, your Zinnemans, mm -hmm. your David Leans, and they're lionising Hitchcock and, and Hawks instead yeah, because they Ford. see those yeah. as the people that kind of 
uh, take on material and then turn it into a Hawks film or a Hitchcock sure. film. Yeah. Whereas yeah. many of these people are sort of writer directors, so they have more control in a way over the sure. the material. Yeah. But that sort of doesn't fly with the auteurist so much. So, no, I mean, so I think there's a little bit of that that sort of okay. means that Wilder wasn't. He wasn't always, rated by Pauline yeah. Hill. I mean, she's the obvious. I mean, if you're yeah, if you're a film she's, student listening, she's was probably ridiculously over influential in terms of film critic criticism. It's fair Peter to say Saris. that she's Andrew she's, Saris, sorry. She's not a fan. Um Andrew no. Saris said that, you know, there was less than than meets the eye in Wilder's no. films, although he later on in sort of recants and says, No, I got it wrong. Right. <laughs> Actually fair he enough. is a fantastic yeah. director. Yeah. Um so it, it's 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 odd because film audiences and filmmakers have admired Wilder's work oh, but sometimes sure. his kind of critical reputation has been a bit uh, a bit bumpy mm, so that continues yes. into the 60s and 70s and okay. um you know and a, and a mixture of big successes like Irma Ledoux which is mm-hmm. kind of really big box office hit and then things like um Private Life of Sherlock Holmes which is really admired now but mm. wasn't a box office success at the time no. so no I mean, was it a, was it a hit at the box office? Did, did audiences like this? This bit of last bit of sleaze, or <laughs> no? It, it it didn't seem to kind of um, do as well as as some of the earlier Wilder comedies. It, it, I don't think it was necessarily to do with the problem with the Legion of Decency. I think it's that sense of taste changing. Possibly, mm, okay. and this yeah. sort of falling between different potential audiences, and right. we're, we're just at that stage when kind of the the 60s is really beginning in earnest. Yes. And it, it's yeah. interesting in the film. There's a mention of the Beatles being competitors to okay. the likes of um, Dean Martin. Right. Um, so, the so there's that style, sense that yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff's changing, and yeah. um, taste and is so changing. Some, yeah, yeah, and and that. I think applies to to Wilder's film as well. Mm. So I mean, sixty five is kind of really when they, you could argue that that's when the counterculture really kind of kind of came up to the public awareness in in terms of uh, music and things. So this is just before. So if Peter Sellers had actually um, starred in it and it was perhaps set a year or two earlier, it may have been a quite a different story. It's sense. it's it's a really interesting what if I think mm. you know to, mm. to because Ray Walston plays this role in a in a particular way and he's kind of a he's you know his jealousy is really well soundtracked as well by mm-hmm. Andre Previn does the does the score for oh, the really? film really okay yeah, yeah and there are a couple yeah. of songs in it that are kind of recycled Gershwin songs that okay. had never been completed um, so the songs that these sort of small town songwriters are peddling are actually kind of really good quality <laughs> good. but they have they have terrible lyrics so one ah. of them's um i'm a poached egg and um, <laughs> really terrible but they're quite catchy tunes yeah um, but they're sort of gershwin castoffs <laughs> yeah yeah okay ah oh, so it's one of those things that like it should have worked but it did but perhaps just slightly misplaced in its um in its release or yeah yes. i mean he, okay. i think ray walston does his best but it, it would be interesting to see this kind of very jealous husband enacted by an actor like peter sellers mm. who mm. i think would have brought a lot of 
kind of darkness to the role that might have yes. changed the dynamic of it. I mean, it, it, as it is, it's still a it's it's a really kind of funny film, mm-hmm. and also with quite a sweet core. Even though there's a lot of kind of smuttiness in it, it's yeah. it's central cynicism story. Yes. <laughs> yeah, is is quite a romantic one. I mean, the irony is that the husband is very jealous. And he brings in this other woman to replace his wife to try and protect his wife's kind of chastity. Mm-hmm. But the woman that substitutes for his wife, he ends up feeling equally jealous and protective ah, of her. Okay. So it's this kind of odd, ironic dynamic really going on to do it, with yeah. marriage and jealousy and kind of infidelity. And and it's as you'd expect for a kind of I.L. Diamond and Billy Wilder script it's it's got some terrific moments of dialogue and and okay. the story construction is as, as tight as a drum mm. um, and i just think it it deserves its moment in the sun really as um a really interesting uh, example of of wilder's work that isn't perhaps as celebrated as much as some of the better known yeah films. it should be so yeah yeah i mean fine you know really just as a final thing what are the sexual politics a bit problematic if we if we look to look at it with 21st century eyes or yeah i mean <laughs> i wonder if it was i don't think it's entirely a sort of a, a retrospective construction of it i mean mm. i think the way that polly played by kim novak is quite a um sad figure you know you mm. feel quite sorry for her um that she's kind of being used as a, a pawn in this game and and wants someone who, to write love songs for her and to to be nice to her and look after her and and I don't think that's entirely kind of looking at it through kind of post me too eyes mm. I, I think it's kind of there at the time and and it, it's a, it was a very brave film for Dean Martin to make really because he plays himself mm. and he mm. plays himself as an absolute kind of sleazeball he's terrible you know he insists on having to have sex with a woman otherwise he'll get a terrible headache so we, oh you that's know. well that's a very much a, a john f kennedy thing wasn't it there was, yeah. you know, i mean you, was, you wonder <laughs> if suggestion kind of allusions are, are being made but you know he's not mm. playing this as a character he's playing this as himself. as himself yeah i mean this is this is height of uh, heights of the rat pack isn't it with himself yeah and, Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop, and and Sinatra as well. So okay, so, so it's got having... this weird postmodern thing of yeah, someone playing sure. themselves in the film. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Mel, you've have you have convinced me. I, I think you were you had me at um, trying to think of something witty now. No, can't think of it right now. Phallic yeah. cactuses. Phallic cactuses. <laughs> thank you. Yes, you had me at phallic cactuses. Um, it's going in. Uh, so that Yay. is Kiss Me Stupid from 1964 by the legendary director, author or otherwise, uh, Billy Wilder. So, Mel, thank you so much uh, for your time and for bringing this to the Emporium. Really appreciate it. Thank and, you. Yeah, um, I hope your tractor ride back isn't too wet. Um, it's been some terrible weather outside. I don't know if you heard that, but there was a, a hailstorm just outside the Emporium. Um, but, yes, um, good luck. And, uh, yeah, are there any, is there any research going on at all or any books out that you have or anything you're uh, working on now that you'd like to uh, promote? <laughs> At the moment, I am working on a BFI film classic book on uh, A Taste of Honey. Ah. So completely different, back to British stuff and and 60s stuff. um, Kitchen sink drama sort of thing. Kitchen sink, yeah. Yeah. Is that that the one with Rita Tushingham? 
That's right, yeah. Yes, and yeah. who's the director? That's Tony Richardson. That's right, who yeah. is Natasha Richardson's dad. That's um, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. Just yeah. That just it rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. One of those British new wavey those, things. That's it. Sort of like dynast acting dynasties and uh, <laughs> what have you. <laughs> Was that Vanessa Redgrave's? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. Another another dynasty as well. Yeah. Yes. You're piecing it together. Oh now. yes. It's a small world. The British film industry around that time, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mel, thank you very much indeed, and uh, a safe journey back to Norwich on your tractor and. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll speak soon. Okay, thanks. Bye. Cheers. Take care. Bye. And that was Dr. Melanie Williams, a senior lecturer at University of East Anglia, with her choice "Kiss Me Stupid" by Billy Wilder from 1964. As ever, thank you so much indeed for listening to Dr. Kino's Film Emporium. Uh, it's going to be um, an interesting week next week. Um, I'm thinking about something different, so. Tune in next week and, uh, yeah, you might get a surprise. Take care, happy Halloween and enjoy your films.